Hello, and welcome to The Gray Area, where I interview developers, talk about games and news, and share stories about our guests. My name is Genesee Gray, and this is episode 126, called Perception is King. Today, I speak with Bill and Amanda Gardner, founders of The Deep End Games, whom I met at the Bit Awards uh, a couple weekends ago, where we got talking about their award-winning game, Perception, who won Game of the Year 2017. So the first question I ask everyone, and I'm going to ask you guys too, is what is your news of the week? What's happening in your house? Well, it's an interesting week because, you know, we're getting back into the swing of things, right? Uh, New year? Uh, Not so much new us, but we (laughs) definitely a lot of planning for this year. You know, we're obviously beaming uh, from the the Bit Awards, and, you know, we had a great year last year, and so trying to, you know, leverage that and, 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 uh, you know, use that energy into the next thing, and so... We're, we're planning that, and we're trying to get, you know, life squared away after all the chaos of, of, of a year of launching things. And <laughs> yeah, get excited, get inspired again. You know, we, we, we binged on a bunch of games over the past few days, and uh, X-Files is back tomorrow night. <laughs> yeah. That's just been a huge inspiration, like, my whole life. So I think uh, the beginning of the year is really, like, a great recharge. Awesome. Well, now, how long will it take you to say 2018? Because that one, for me, is a really difficult thing to write. I think I'll re- realize it after I sign like my fifth check the wrong day. Yes. Oh, yeah. That's usually what does it for me. After I'm like, ah, oh, I have to rewrite this check? <laughs> Got ya. Well, talking to you first, Bill, you've been, I mean, talking about time, you've been 12 years in different mm-hmm. roles at Irrational, and most people right. kind of know your name already because of that. Uh, Bioshock, one of my favorite, Bioshock Infinite, definitely. Uh, nice. So so we have level designer, lead designer, design director. How many titles are you at now? Oh, a bunch, yeah. It, it, it was the kind of place that people had all kinds of... You know, it's the whole wearing many different hats thing. Uh, but, you know, I was lucky enough to, to have opportunity to bounce all around, sort of go where the, the project needed me in a lot of cases. And, uh, yeah, just, you know... Even at the end, we, we, did, we did grow quite a bit with Bioshock Infinite, uh, you know, I think generally speaking, most people were doing many, many different things, you know. How uh, big was the studio? Well, on Bioshock, internally in the Boston studio, it was probably around 40, 40 to 50. I'm not sure exactly uh, okay. exact number. But then we also had the Australian branch um, who helped on both projects. Um, and, you know, they, they were also doing their own projects. They were the ones primarily behind Freedom Force and Tribes Vengeance and that sort of thing. So, you know, all told, Irrational was probably around 65, 70 people. And then, you know, obviously there's going to be people who are going to contract and that sort of thing. So it's tough to say. On, on Infinite, we really grew. And I don't even know. Like, it got really weird because you'd walk down the hall and you'd be like, who the hell is that person? <laughs> uh, and, and, you know, so I, I think it's tough when you, you have to be very careful about what projects you take on and how big, you know, get a watch and monitor the scope. Um, and I think that, you know, Bioshock Infinite, you know, we, we had to really take on, you know, quite a few people and just to make it happen. And I think that, you know, in a lot of ways we lost our, our personality. What well, You know, we were this tight-knit group for the longest time. And then in order to take on Infinite, we had to grow quite a bit. And, and I think the culture kind of diminished a bit. Gotcha. Well... Since you're in Boston, I was wondering if you guys are huge PAX East fans. Like, do you go to PAX East often? Or, I mean, there's a, there's a number. Fortunately, in Boston, it seems like a good hub for gaming, Turbine, etc. Uh, yep. All that stuff. It is my favorite show. Uh, I mean, I, I love. I'd love to say 
Tokyo Game Show. Because, uh, I've been there once, but when I went in 2011 or 12, it was a little bit sad. It was kind of like in a bit of a retraction year. I'd be curious to see how it is last year and how, how, it's, how it was last year and how it was going to be this coming year because it seems like Japan's on the, uh, the rise again, which is great. But when I went, it was a little bit sad. Um, <laughs> so I, PAX East is, is really spectacular for me. I love the venue. I love the energy. I love uh, you know just how th- that sort of direct connect you have with with uh, gamers and just there's just an energy you don't have in any other shows. I feel like. Um, what about you? Yeah, I mean it's it's great because we have been able to attend PAX as guests and PAX as presenters and. Um, you know, it's it, it was so exciting a few years ago to take our kids and they cosplayed as uh, Link and Mega Man and everybody <laughs> was taking pictures and they looked adorable. And then the next year, it's like we had a booth. It was such a crazy evolution. Yeah, awesome. It sounds like you kind of have experience in the fact of you know going from studios that have unfortunately had issues and it seems like this has kind of been the year for so many people just having kind of that inflation and then closing and unfortunate stuff and now the japan con etc hopefully you know 2018 kind of has a good upswing on that it's been a really rough year for a lot of people well, it's, it's, I think we're, we're going through uh, a period of, of tremendous change. I think there's just so much dis- disruption right now. And I think a lot of us are trying to figure out what's, what's going on. And so I think that, you know, on the bright side, I think that you're going to see likely a lot more experimentation, a lot more. I mean, obviously, the indie scene has been really booming lately. Um, and obviously, there's been a lot of talk about how, you know, the indie apocalypse that's been going on for, I don't even know, since the beginning of time, I guess. Um I think that you're starting to see a lot of rewards for um, the mix of experimentation uh, and pushing the medium in different directions mixed with um, polish. I think for a long time it was you would have uh, sort of the two were, were separate for a long time. And you're seeing the emergence now of, you know, the triple I space, you know, the, uh, the, the sort of big independent games. And, and so it's an interesting time, but I don't think anyone really knows what's, what's coming. Well, you guys seem to be in a perfect place for that. I mean, bringing the experience of you know, having these larger games in hand and now the idea of perception and kind of the indie feel of just just you guys kind of doing your own thing now. So hopefully that is a perfect marriage for you. Ha ha, Amanda. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so what was that like working as a team and kind of obviously having, you know, maybe personal relationship, now work relationship. And I assume, like, I don't know if you guys have a, sp- a separate space, you're working in your house. What is that like for, you know, I- I've worked with people that have been in relationships with before and it's a little mm, interesting balance. How do you guys handle that? Well, it became sort of like a blur of the work and, and life and uh, family sort of, uh, blurred together so sometimes we'd be at a soccer game um and you know workshopping a scene or we'd be at home and working on the game and the kids would come downstairs and uh, wipe our dry erase board with all the plot and replace it with uh, noodles you know so it's it definitely there are times where it really sort of uh, blurred together gotcha okay so amanda moving to you now uh looking into this you you have been kind of in the I know how to use semicolons well for a really long time as a noble profession of teacher. And it really should be my new Twitter bio. <laughs> there you go. There you go. It, it's a lost art, I hear. So uh, tell me about, it sounded like you, you may speak to kids or younger people about getting into games and kind of the industry. What, is that, what does that look like for you? 
Well, um, I haven't taught for a few years, um, but I know that when I was teaching, I was the rock star teacher because they all wanted to come to my classroom and talk about Bioshock and, and what uh. I do about Bioshock and, you know, could I have a free copy? And I'm like, it doesn't work that way, guys. <laughs> um, and, and it was pretty cool because uh, one year I was teaching um, Anthem by Rand, and so I said, well, uh, I have a special guest speaker who just made a video game who, you know, was very much inspired by Rand's writings, so we had a really fun kind of workshop where, where Bill came in and talked to my students about objectivism in Bioshock, and I lectured, and he lectured, and it was pretty, it was pretty cool. Awesome. So do you, you also write novels? I'm reading about fantasy novels, and I was looking this up trying to find them. Yes, um, I, my agent's working on publishing <laughs> right now. I have um, a really fantastic agent in New York, and we've been together for years. And I've been writing for a while, but we—I um, sort of write in a not terribly popular genre, and uh, it, it's hard to break in. Um, I mean, I may eventually do the the self pub thing, but um, right now I'm I'm still looking for the traditional route. Gotcha. Well, as a New Hampshire person, I'm just wondering if you're like my, all of my partners over here who are from New Hampshire, walking around in shorts in the minus four degree weather right now. Oh. Is, is this your, your Mecca outside right now? I'm in a blanket. Oh, good. See? Yeah, it's, it's not quite that system. bad. I mean, it got up to like a balmy like 16, I think, today, uh, <laughs> which is nice. Yeah, this is pretty brutal. Oh, yeah. It's so, hard. So let's move to crowdfunding and deciding to do perception that way. So how did this come about? <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's uh, you know, we, we first had the idea uh, to, to play as a blind woman. Uh, you know, we had experimented with it and we had done some prototypes and we started digging into the research and trying to immerse ourselves in that world and, and try and reach out to people in the blind community and echolocators and that, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, it was one of those things where the idea hit me and I was enamored with it immediately and we, we immersed ourselves, but we didn't really give ourselves any sort of deadline. And so um, after about two or three months of experimentation, Amanda uh, was eventually like, hey, you know, we really got to really pull the trigger on this thing. We got to, you know, it's like, well, you know, we talked about Kickstarter. And one of the problems you have right now as a developer, there's so many options, right? You have... Uh, you know, early access, and you have Kickstarter, you can go to a publisher, you can, you know, all the, you know, go to an angel investor, on and on and on. And, you know, I, I, I'm the type who will be, um, uh, get, you know, get analysis paralysis. And so I was looking at all these things. I was like, well, what about this thing? What and eventually Amanda was like, you know what? We're going to do Kickstarter and we're going to do it in two months. And <laughs> oh, my. And so we drew a line in the sand and we hit that date. Um, Right. Yeah, I mean, we were pregnant with our third, and I, and I was just sort of like having that nesting thing, like we need to get our ducks in a row. So uh, move along. Gosh, gotcha. let's get this going. So. <laughs> yeah, that's a short turnaround for videos and you know prizes and uh, different kinds of things you can. It is, and yeah. I, you know, certainly a lot of lessons learned. Uh, you know, we were lucky enough to I don't know who introduced us, but somebody introduced us to. Um, uh, I was going to say his name, Luke. I don't know if I was. Going, I don't know if I should say, it, but uh, Luke at uh, Kickstarter, and he was. Um, I happened to be going down to New York to try. I, I'd sent out to, to press a, a whole mess of uh, 
cold calls, basically saying, hey, I'm working on this game, I worked on Bioshock, yada, 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 I'm going to be in town, and if you want, I can show you a trailer. And so, you know, again, we had done all this prototyping, we basically had about two months to to get the, the intro to the game and enough of the demo, or the video anyway, uh, up for Kickstarter. And, uh, you know, we met with them, he gave us a lot of great feedback, and, you know, it was... You know, the more we set our goals, drew, drew lines in the sand, the more real it became and the more, uh, you know, it just became like, this is something we're really doing. <laughs> um, didn't plan on it, but, you know, as soon as we started making the, uh, uh, giving ourselves deadlines, it became more real, you know? <laughs> yes, I imagine. So you're talking about research and this being the direction you decided to go, kind of focusing on blindness and getting to the end of the game. It's pretty touching to kind of read the, the screen at the end talking about the focus and how kind of those are unest- underestimated or you know maybe underrepresented. How sure. did blindness become the focus of, of how you wanted to express that? Well, it was really driven from a few different uh, desires on our parts. I think that the main thing was it, like the, the initial seed of the idea came from uh, a, a goofy challenge from my uh, – I was in a prototyping class in my master's degree. And um, uh, the professor uh, at the end of class one night was like, hey, you know, tonight, by the time you get to your cars, you're all going to think of a brilliant idea. And so – you know, Amanda and I are always kicking around ideas for games and movies and stories and, you know, you name it, and working, workshopping them together. And so I'm, I'm walking to my car and I'm thinking, okay, cool, I'm going to do this. Um, you know, we always kick around horror games, uh, ideas for horror games. And so, you know, it's a dark night and, uh, you know, uh, October and there's a little bit of frost on things and so I'm afraid of, of slipping. Uh, and one of the lights is out in the um, parking lot and I'm walking my way there and uh, you know, seeing my breath and that whole thing. And I'm, I'm being very careful not to, to, to fall. And I'm thinking to myself, okay, well, you know, horror. And I'm thinking of a lot of the staples, like sort of what makes horror tick. Um, and, you know, going through my head, you know, information being the enemy of horror. So like, okay, how can, I, how can we withhold information? It's like, well, what if you played as a blind person? And that really stuck with me. And I immediately called Amanda and we started kicking around ideas, and you know, we, the echolocation became. We had heard of uh, human echolocation, um, and I don't remember exactly where we initially heard of it, but we we did. Uh, we started immediately googling around and found um, uh, Daniel Kish and World Access for the Blind, is, which is an organization that teaches blind people how to use echolocation. Um, and so, basically, I decided I was going to spend uh, the next semester in, my, at, um, in grad school uh, researching. Uh, echolocation and, and technology for, for blind people and, uh, you know, just really immersing myself in that world. And so the more I looked into it, the more I was like, okay, this is something I really needed to make happen. And so um, I just thought it was an interesting, it, it, going back to what I said before, there were a lot of goals that I had for myself if I was going to take on a, on a, on a game. And, and one of them was that I wanted to, you know, have a different perspective. I wanted to, I got a little tired of the showing from the same dude's perspective you know every game i worked on it's been you know a 6-2 burly dude uh with beefy arms you know um <laughs> and so i, I you know I this immediately drew it was immediately drawn to the idea uh and then also you know the the idea of of, of visually representing something that you know, that challenge of trying to to show and capture what echolocation might feel like um and so there's a lot of interesting challenges there, but I thought it was also an opportunity to tell some stories that aren't, aren't really told. Um, 
And so you know, it was kind of a perfect storm of, of things that, that really appealed to me. Yeah, it's an interesting visual kind of treatment of it as well. And there's some some neat things combining some of maybe the more classic uh scary things in games like there's there's some slenderman moments here in the dark you know it feels like when you're doing that so the choice of kind of limited color and maybe blue versus the yellow red stuff like that like how did you decide how you were going to kind of play that out you know so you know a lot of it is just the usual experimentation and uh testing it with people you know, for a while we had uh, we were giving away quite a bit less information. You know, showing uh, you know representing quite a bit less detail. Um, and you know, you, you look at the, you think of the way, and there's all kinds of different representations of this. Uh, you know, the way that dolphins see through sonar, and there's all kinds of images that approximate what that's like, um, and they're creepy. Uh, but, you know, we found that, you know, first of all, it's a visual medium, right? Video games are very driven by, by visuals. And there are some games that are completely audio driven. Um, and But what we were trying to do with a, the navigation of a 3D space, a relatively complex 3D space, um, you know, with a lot of debris and things like that, that becomes a real challenge. But there are games like Shades of Doom, which is a game based on the original 1992 or whatever Doom game. Hmm. Um, and you can you can run around uh, and shoot and fight demons. They do all they use all sound cues to make it so you know you can tell when you're walking into a wall or when your uh, an enemy is under your reticle. And so they, the the challenge there is obviously that's an intense shooter, but you know you think about the spaces they are extremely basic, right? They're just basically cube rooms uh, with maybe a pillar in the center. So um, we knew right from the start that navigation was going to be a big challenge. Um, so anyway, we, we, we did say early on that this was not going to be a simulation. And so we referenced a bunch of media. Like I said, we, obviously there's the representations in, in other, uh, other movies uh, in movies and not so much games, but other media that show, you know, what, um, you know, being blind looks like quote unquote. And so, you know, take reference from that. And then there's, um, uh, a YouTuber, or a bunch of YouTubers, but one in particular, uh, the blind film critic, he, uh, he reviews films as you can imagine. And, but he also spends quite a bit of time doing like Q and A's where he answers questions. Uh, you know, like, what is it? What, what do you dream like? And they have a little, uh, a cute little, um, uh, session where he he draws and people are like oh draw yourself and, and just uh-huh. to see how he it's interesting because he's been blind his entire life so he doesn't really the way he describes it, he doesn't really understand uh, two dimensions he doesn't really understand flat surfaces so when he draws he's it's really difficult for him to understand how to take what he understands in 3d and put it in 2d mm. so it's really fascinating and so you know, we, we try and draw on all these different pieces and 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 you know again experiment put it on screen, put it in front of people, make sure that they don't outright reject it and be like, I could never play this, right? <laughs> um, so, yeah, there was no magic to it. It was really just a whole lot of, um, you know, trial, error, research, uh, and rinse, repeat, right? Mm-hmm. One of the things that was the most interesting to um, fine-tune was the tap. You know, you want it to be um, 
long enough so that you can see what's around you, but not too long that it gets rid of the mystery. And when echolocators look, you know, echolocate, it's a it's a very sharp sound that bounces out and back very fast. So Daniel Kish actually calls it flash sonar. So, you know, you'd imagine that it only lasts a fraction of a second, but that makes the game way too hard to play. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we really had to play with, okay, how big is this pool of light going to be? How long is it going to last? Is there going to be any kind of rippling effect? What's it pull back? You know, like how's so that that was something that took a really long time to get right. It's neat how the different elements, like the wind or you know a radio or the TV, can kind of also add that, so you don't have to continue to tap. And no. you can even hear the walls sound. Like after a while, and you get tired of tapping and waiting for the presence <laughs> to get you, you hear like the wall sound versus the middle of the room sound, and you can almost like differentiate that. It's kind of neat. Cool. Yeah, I mean, that, that, that was the goal. I think it's, you know, again, that was part of the balancing act as well as how loud is the environment. And, and you know, you're playing with, uh, you know, bits of, you know, uh, traditional, and again, we don't really call it horror, we call it a thriller. Um, but, you know, you have elements of trying to, you know, misdirection and that sort of thing. And so, you know, you, 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 it's all it is, is just experimenting and, and, and testing it out and, and, and finding that happy place where <laughs> it feels right. Yeah. Well, obviously, having a kind of visually challenged protagonist becomes an, a, a, I guess, something you have to solve when you're looking at things that are written on pages or, you know, things that, I guess, Amanda, you would be writing. How would a blind protagonist read this? So it's kind of interesting how you came up as a solution for that with you know either either the tape players which honestly I felt like was a nod to Bioshock or the way of you know taking a photograph of that and having the program interact with you can you share you know how you came up about those different methods and kind of making your words <laughs> visible well you know I, I have to give the credit here to Bill because he was in grad school and uh, for basically his uh, graduate thesis uh, study all sorts of great technologies that um, blind people can use on their phones and, and in life, and he found some really great apps. Uh, we spent a whole weekend with our phones um, basically on blind mode where we would where we'd just read every option to you as you touched it, like, you know, text, text from mom, 10 o'clock, you know, and, and so um, that was really interesting. But he found this really cool app called um, Be My Eyes, and uh, we talked to the people there, and it was really informative, but it, it ended up being sort of the friendly eyes app in our game, very similar, where, you know, um, the person on the other end can see what what's going on through Cassie's camera and can tell her what's going on. So the example Bill always uses is, you know, say a blind person wants to order um, from a vending machine and it doesn't have Braille, uh, you use uh, this app. And they can tell you, like, oh, if you want a Coke, you just hit, you know, the third button from the left, that kind of thing. So, Neat. Yeah, but honestly, a lot of the uh, the tech and, you know, a lot of the tools that, that Cassie have, they're, yeah, they are, in fact, based on, on, on real apps and things like that. And, um, you know, text-to-speech with their phone. These are all things that, uh, that I found that a number of blind people really use. And uh, one of the big surprising... Uh, takeaways that I had in all my interviews was that, you know, there was no right or wrong answer that as, you know, I, I kind of expected going in to be like, oh, this is what, this is how blind people are going to use their phone. And, and in reality, everyone had a different type of phone, a different 
way to use it, different apps, different approach. And so that was really interesting to me. But we tried to look for tools that would work well for the story that were based in, in reality and that um, that would work for the experience of playing a game and, and again, with our story. So, you know, it, between Be My Eyes and the text-to-speech and all these different elements, I thought it was a really fascinating way to, to, to tell a story. Uh, and you mentioned the the audio uh, tapes and things like that. Um, yeah, that is very Bioshocky. That's, you know, obviously part of my DNA now. <laughs> um, but it's also that, that, you know, those things really, I think, worked quite well for the for the context of the game. You had a uh, the first the first chapter being uh, from the perspective, or at least one of the characters uh, being a, a psychologist. Uh, it made sense that he would, um, you know, be recording his sessions and recording his thoughts and notes and that sort of thing. And so that, that worked quite well. And um, so you look for these opportunities to to to, to represent. The visuals of, of echolocation, uh, you know, uh, sort of audio storytelling, if you will, um, in the world, and, and, and so that's why with with uh, uh, you know the, the psychologist character in chapter chapter one that really made sense, you know. Yeah. So how has the audience reaction been to kind of this factor as well as the blind community? Is there controversy? Is there you know praise? What, what's the reaction of people? Um, I'd say it's mixed. For the most part, it's been very positive. Uh, you know, I think you're, I don't think you can release anything today without, you know, you're never going to please everyone, but I think overwhelmingly the, the, it's been positive, would you, would you say? Or? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of people like being able to identify with this character who is more like them. And, you know, we've had a lot of people, uh, you know, on the uh, various places on the vision spectrum just say, like, it's nice that there's a character that's kind of like me and representation matters and, um, it feels nice. A lot of people have played it like, you know, I play this because my mom's blind and, and, you know, it really helped me understand her. But, like, we've, we've had some really kind, really great, great things come yeah. of it. And where it's not positive, uh, you know, you, you, you try and uh, look for ways to improve and uh, for, you know, along the way. Um, you know, I think, it's, it, I think the only frustration that I personally had was, you know, you have people who are, uh, you know, basically haven't played the game or, you know, before the game had released, you know, uh, voice. And this, by all means, voice your concerns. But a lot of cases where people are, uh, you know, at one point somebody was like, oh, you know, the game, the, the game's logo has Braille and that's non-functioning. And, and I can't remember the term that they used or whatever, but they, they kind of, it was an unpleasant term that they said. And it's just basically, um, it, it was a, a little bit disappointing because, you know, we felt we were trying to do, uh, something with the game that you know again as Amanda said trying to turn rep- um, enhance representation right mm-hmm. and so um, I, I totally understand it to me what's helpful is to understand people's perspectives and try and channel that into something to improve the game and so for example um, you know we, we got uh, we had a number of requests during the Kickstarter campaign about making the game accessible for for, for blind people number one but then uh, as we talked about it, discussed it with people, they understood the challenges because of the complexity of the space. Um, we, we were able to, to find a way to make the game low vision accessible so that we have you know higher contrast in the game uh, by default and we have resizable subtitles and colored subtitles and a number of features that we feel really help make it more accessible. And, and I, I realize that that's, it's, a, it's a strange position to be in because... To a number of people who reached out, they were like, hey, this game is about a blind person. It should be playable by blind people. 
um, which I, I partly understand and I'm certainly empathetic to. Uh, and it's something we continue to look into. Um, and we actually had all this middleware tech at one point uh, implemented in the in the um, in, in engine that was going to help with audio spatialization, so we can could continue to um, to push those features to possibly make it blind accessible. And, and then that company, after a few months, was bought out, and so we we lost all support for it. So, uh, it was so cool! Yeah. It was really phenomenal tech. Um, but anyway, uh, the long story short is again, it's been overwhelming, overwhelmingly positive. Um, and where it hasn't been, you know, we, we, we just like to, to try and understand where any, um, concerns are and try and address them where we can. And obviously we're, like I said, we're not making a simulation. Um, and so if uh, that is a problem, then I'm sorry, but we're, we're, and we, you know, a couple of other things were important to us. We are very well researched. You know, this was not, this is not something that we did willy nilly. This is something that we really cared about and interviewed countless people. And, um, you know, we live near Perkins school for the blind. We talked to them. We worked with world access for the blind. So, um, we, we thought it was important to cover our bases and we also thought it was important to not have our character be stereotyped at all. You know, like we wanted Cassie to feel like a real person and it was important to us to not be like, well, what would just a blind person do here? Like, no, like we really wanted to avoid stereotypes. So. Gotcha. Yeah. She, she is pretty bold and kind of her own person for sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I'd, I'd be waiting before I went into that house. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think that that's part of what makes her, I think, interesting. Uh, the way that Amanda wrote her is that she's um, bold. And I think a lot of times uh, the most bold characters, they, they tend to be, um, you know, sometimes covering for their own insecurities. And she's an incredibly strong woman. But a lot like Amanda used uh, Buffy, the vampire slayer, as an inspiration there. You think mm-hmm. about a lot of her snark and a lot of her confidence, that's actually coming from a place of weakness. Um, and that she's... Um, I prefer vulnerability. <laughs> yes. Well, certainly Buffy is not weak. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I think that's interesting. That's what makes an interesting character, right? Is, is, is when you have someone who is incredibly strong uh, and trying to figure out what makes them tick. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that, to me, that's Cassie. And that goes into her backstory of, of her, you know, her upbringing and her... Um, you know, where she's been and, uh, her, you know, her, I guess you could say some, some of her issues with, um, uh, relationships and that yeah. sort of thing. And, you know, um, that stuff's really fascinating to dive into. And that's again, you know, really the heart of the game. And that's why we, um, I think we had a lot of fun. Yeah, definitely. Stuff, right? definitely. So the story goes through different time periods and kind of different people in that time period. If there's a, without spoiling any of the story, uh, we know that one of them is kind of based loosely on some history in your family. Uh, How did you choose the various time periods and those stories? Are they also based on true events or are they kind of just parts of other things that just got included? Um, No, they were not based on other true events, but we sort of wanted a theme throughout of just sort of, um, Spoilers. Sort of, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, um, we I, feel like there are some themes that tie them all together. Um, I think it's fine to say. Like, strong honestly, sort I, of I, feminist I, themes. We can. Uh, fra- we, can we, do you mind if we uh, bookend this with spoilers here? Okay. Well, yes. Beep yeah. beep spoilers. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, um, you know, I think that it was important to highlight various 
issues that women have gone through through the years and, you know, um, an overbearing husband who's possibly gaslighting his wife, um, a woman who wants to contribute to the war effort but just can't in the capacity that she desires and, you know, who's kept down by the man. And um, then there's an actual man who is essentially... Uh, told that he is unable to care for disabled children, is not allowed to parent because he's not a mother and he's not maternal, and you know his children are taken by the state. And so, I mean, we we definitely do a lot of things with 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 gender and 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 whatnot, and and you know uh, basically overcoming overcoming those circumstances. Yeah. So that that was that was a key piece because again, if you get to the the root of the. Uh, the origin of the the house and all of that, you know, that comes back to the, the bit that you were referring to earlier. Um, and that, that just sort of, to me, when I was first told of that story uh, by my grandmother, uh, you know, that that was the piece that, that resonated with me, that, that like, you know, the sort of how women have been exploited over the years. And it, particularly with, with the story of Susanna, um, I, I, I view this as an opportunity to to um, to explore that and to hopefully show uh, different ways in which that manifests. And um, uh, you know, again, it was just a story that was really interesting and dear to me. And I felt that there was a opportunity to to put it in a um, a context that that made sense. Um, and then there are obviously little bits that that you know, that, that are personal to me. Like, you know, if you look at Betty in chapter two, that she's very, you know, she has that whole transatlantic accent and she's very gung ho and, uh, you know, very, um, again, fiercely independent, but also, uh, you know, very pro, I mean, how would you, I don't want to say pro America, but I mean, how would you describe her? Patriotic. She's, yeah. Very, very, extremely patriotic. You know, a lot of that was inspired by my grandmother, you know, the way she talks and the way that, you know, she, she carries herself and that sort of thing. Um, so there, there are tidbits in there, but overall, I think yeah, the themes that Amanda talked about are the, are the big pieces. Yeah, it's very, it's interesting to see the story unspool as you're going through the game, and you don't really know because the different things that you pick up and whatever, whatever order you get them, uh, can <laughs> definitely change your mind on, on the different characters that you're uh, that you're getting to know depending on the time of when you happen to pick up this particular tape or look at this particular picture. So it's kind of different for everyone. You might start out thinking they're like this and then like this. It's kind of neat. Cool. Well, that's, that's the hope. <laughs> yeah. So the idea of the presence as a gameplay element um, to kind of force you almost to walk in the dark and not hang on to the crutch of the constant tapping. Uh, sure. Is that the concept there, and is that basically for that purpose, or is there something else behind the presence? Um, so that, that is definitely the, the, the chief driving force. He was originally conceived, or it was originally conceived, as uh, a foil for your um, you know ability to you know peel away the layers of the onion and, and to, to sort of shine a light on, on the backstory of this house. Um, but beyond that, yeah, in a lot of ways he's meant to represent uh, you know the curse of the house, and you know what's what's holding these inhabitants back. Um, you know he's he's the one keeping them them. Uh, you know obviously the other uh, inhabitants they're 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 not using echolocation in the same way, but in a lot of ways he is uh, silencing them. And so there 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 are definitely some elements there that it's it's meant to be this overruling, overbearing figure that's just omnipresent. Um, I'm sure we could, you know, sort of 
read into that a bit more. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, but overall, yeah, obviously, the, the main it was it was primarily born out of that you know the the gameplay uh, hook there. And I think as we 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 implemented it, it became this thing that was you know again about reinforcing uh, holding the people back uh, in, in Echo Bluff. Did you have to research the creep factor, and how did you do this with all the scary whispering, the ghosts and dolls? And did you have to like watch a series of scary? How, how did you research this? I know, right? <laughs> well, we love scary movies um, and scary games, and so we sort of have a lifetime of experience just enjoying those. Um, <laughs> But we live in New England, and there's lots of old, creepy houses that make terrible sounds. So, I mean, that that's one big, great starting point for us. Is we're, we're in this small town that has these historic homes with these bizarre stories and little hidden nooks and crannies. And so that sort of, you know, is in our blood. But um, Bill Bill's childhood um, uh, and ability to watch anything he wanted, you know, you want to elaborate on that. Yeah, my parents owned a video store when I was growing up, and so I, every single horror movie I watched, basically. <laughs> and we also had, um, lucky enough to have, like, early access to, you know, video cameras and that sort of thing. So I was always shooting horror films. They're really terrible horror films in my backyard. Um, that, you know, that, those are the big pieces, but, you know, in terms of research, you know, I, I, I'm not... I would love to spend way more time, uh, you know, studying history and, uh, you know, doing everything I can to, you know, absorb the, the history of the world and that sort of thing. Um, you know, unfortunately, there's only so much time in the day, but you know, so we wind up basically looking at the different time periods we would be interested in. And so you spend a bunch of time researching and so... Um, you know, for example, with 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 Betty once again in Chapter Two, the 1940s uh, War Bride, if you will, uh, you know, spending quite a bit of time researching what that experience was like and, and and trying to understand what it was like to try and hold down the fort back home and the kinds of things that that women would do while on the home front and uh, you know talk about the you know the transatlantic accent and talk about the difference uh, was you know the wasps and what was mm-hmm. that the 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 what was it the, yeah there were a number of different uh, what's the wasps stand for again the the s- women air force. air force service pilots yeah, yeah. Um, uh, should know that yeah, by now. Um, <laughs> it's late no, I'm saying it was up those. early. Um, so yeah, just lots of research in that, and then obviously uh, with with Bosch in Chapter Three, you know, he was very inspired by you know the Edisons and the Teslas of the time period, and the idea of this 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 sort of immigrant genius uh, of Tesla coming in, and and, and uh, you know um, you know his story and his backstory and, and the sort of things that he would invent in, in his own uh, little world, you know, so. The, Drawing inspirations from all over the place, and the same thing, thing, same thing goes for horror. You know, just we actually fell asleep last night watching The Shining again for the ninth <laughs> oh hour. Um, You're like a lifetime of nightmares to choose from. I know, right? Yeah. So it, it's yeah, it, it, all over the place. Uh, history, the local history, uh, and then you know, as many horror films and games as you can imagine. Uh, although I tend to like. Well, most of my horror is uh, tends to be more psychological. I'm much more like a Kubrick yeah. We don't like gore. Yeah. Okay. So, what is next for Deep End Games? Any well, hints for the future? We're getting close to uh, 
you know, circling very, uh, getting closer and closer um, into the what we're doing next. Um, we know it. We know what it is. It's just more closely defining it and trying to plan how we're gonna get that out there. It's it's, it's you know, we spent about three years working on perception, and, and there's I, I want to try a different approach. So I will say that um, one of the things I you have so many ideas that you're so excited about. And so I think one of the things we're, we're, we're talking about is, is, is trying a different approach where, um, you know, we get a lot of creative fulfillment and are able to, um, well, we, we got a, a lot of interesting ideas on the horizon. So uh, pretty soon we'll be, we'll be talking about them. So. <laughs> Excellent. So uh, this can be found on Windows, Switch, PlayStation 4, Xbox One, uh, any place that people should go if they want to pick it up other than those platforms, which you can just look it up on. I know, right? Um, no, that pretty much covers it. Mm-hmm. Uh, pretty stoked. So, uh, stoked. So, platform of your choice. Excellent. Well, any last thoughts? I think I'm kind of running out of questions to ask you guys. Anything you want people to know before we wrap up? Thank you for having us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think welcome. that, um, you know, again, we're, we're super excited by, you know, to be recognized uh, over the, you know, uh, recent months and to, to see the reaction from people across all you know, every platform, but also you know, people who like horror games, people who like narrative-driven games, and, and walking sims, and you know, we're occupying this weird little space. Um, you know, when I was pitching the game early on, I would always say like, oh, you know, if you like Gone Home, but you also like you know Outlast with a little bit of um, you know the the frictional games, uh, you know that that sort of subgenre of horror, mm-hmm. you know, but a little bit of Bioshock as well. We're kind of like in the middle of all these different things, and so to be able to experiment uh, with this, you know, unique take on narrative, and um, to be to have people embrace that, it's 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 the best. Um, and so you know, we're, we like to keep the the conversation going. Always love the the feedback, and just truly grateful to to, to be doing this and to, to, to have people embrace it. 